another edition of When Else Do I Talk Like This? This is Sad Times. My name's Kevin, and I'm now going to stop talking like that. I'm your host. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, welcome. Let me give you a little primer. Sad Times is a show where we have a guest on each week who is kind and generous with their time. They talk about any number of things. Times they were upset, angry, sad, frustrated, full of anxiety, also some challenging times in life that actually turn out to be pretty good. All of these things that we all go through but rarely talk about. The goal of the show is to have people on to talk about these experiences so that you at home or in the board meeting or in the car or at Trader Joe's or any place really uh, while listening to this can say, oh, I had that similar experience. And then maybe you can share a story with somebody in your life. So again, thank you for coming. Please check out our website, www.sadtimespodcast.com. I could spell that for you, or you could look at the notes of the show and you'll find it there. Um, we're, we have some sad swag that we're about to start selling. So that will be put up pretty soon too. But you can also go to the website if you would like to be a guest. All right, let's get to this week's sponsor. Now, this is a sponsor. Everybody get ready. It's a sponsor that Brent found. So I think everybody who listens to this knows what that means. So the sponsor is the job description line when applying for a job, quote, other duties as assigned. Were you hired to work in a mailroom and all of a sudden you are filling a drink case seven floors above you? How about hired to be a receptionist and now delivering paper to the accounting department when not doing extra data entry duties for the coming meeting in the boardroom where you dropped off the cold cuts? Don't say we didn't warn you. Other duties as assigned. Economy of scale. Hey, fuck you, working class. Wow, Brent. That's... All right. Well, your your angry sponsors continue. As always, we do want you to support our sponsors. Please support them. Use the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. All right. The bills are paid. I'm here with Brent and Wade. And now it's time to bring in our wonderful guest, my friend, Laurel. Laurel, how are you doing? Hi, Kevin. First, I just want to ask when I'm going to get paid for this. Uh, you The the check didn't arrive? It hasn't yet, and I just want to make sure. That's that weird, because I you couldn't have missed it. It was like a big publisher's clearinghouse check. <laughs> like, huge. Brent, you sent that. Or wait, I think it was Wade that was supposed to send that. Wade? Wade? Don't put your dunce cap back on, Wade. Wade's our, like, intern data guy. Um. All right. Well, I'll, I'll see where that check is. It was, we agreed on, was it $30,000? That's my standard appearance. Mm-hmm. That so. smile there. You, you got very excited when I said $30,000. <laughs> You're like, Oh, Oh yes. Um, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I have an ear infection, but mm. otherwise I'm great. Which ear? The right. Oh, and can you hear anything out of the right ear right now? I mean, I can hear, but it's, is it? Yeah. Uh, did you get uh, proper medication for that? I've got some antibiotic drops on the way. Um, yeah, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. I hate eardrops. You ever had to use eardrops before? Oh, I love them. They feel great. Are you out of your mind? What do you mean they feel I love great? The, I love the feeling of stuff in my ears. Like... <laughs> When you put the drops in uh-huh. and you feel it trickle down into your ear. Have you ever had an ear infection where um, you got water in your ear? Water? No. Because that, or, or really anything with an ear, it hurts. I just always, I had a lot of ear problems as a kid and I hated eardrops because it always reminded me of like a burning feeling here. And for those of you who are not watching, which is everyone but Laurel and me, that's down the side of my neck here. Um, well, I'm glad you got eardrops on the way, and I'm glad that you like eardrops. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, so how do we know each other, Laurel? We're from the same hometown, but how do we know each other? Well, I just want to correct you really quick, because I'm not really from town. Uh, wow, I've never had anybody besides Brent correct me. That was, wow. All right, well, this has been fun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, where where are you from officially then? Uh, if not beautiful Monticello. 
so yeah, I, I went to school with you in Monticello, but I grew up outside of town and didn't honestly, besides school, I never really had any connection to Monticello. So I just, I'm very steadfast in my, um, I'm not from there. All right. Uh, was it, well, you guys had that, um, Welcome to Central Illinois speculation. You guys had that little house in like Muhammad or something by the lake. That my parents had a house. Your in parents Muhammad, did. Okay, but I grew up right in between Monticello and Champaign. Oh, that's in the God's country. Of in God's country, correct. And your sister Holly uh, was mm -hmm. one year younger than me, and you oh. are seven-ish years younger than me. I think. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, which I would make you so. uh, twenty. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Um. So, uh, you grew up there, and you. Who is your best friend? My best friend is your best friend's wife. That's right. Yes. And so and that is how we are friends. That's right. And so we became really good friends. And for those of you listening at home, have not turned this off yet. <laughs> uh, we became really good friends. It, it really was around that coffee shop where Mike worked in Champagne, and we were all doing that um, crossword puzzle together. And then I started that group friends chat that still goes to this day. Yep. Big, all right. Yeah. Pivotal thing in really life. Pivotal moment in everyone's life here. Um, all right. So. Grew up in between, again, Monticello, for those of you who don't know, very small town, Champaign, medium-sized town, cool college town, um, where the University of Illinois is. Uh, so growing up, you have siblings. How many siblings do you have? I have two older sisters and a little brother. What's it like? So you're not, quote, officially a middle child. Do you ever, did you ever feel like a middle child? Oh, I'm like classic middle child, I think. What? Why do you say that? Um, <laughs> I, you know, you're looked over. My parents have always been very much like, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. We're not going to worry about you, which I appreciate because they trust me and they know that I can just like figure things out. But I never got that like, attention you know that the mm -hmm. oldest or the youngest did right and so, so you have a baby brother yes okay yeah i i just have one older sister who um is not a doctor and um i i always get told by her you don't know what it's like to be the oldest i said right well you don't know what it's like to be the youngest so i guess we're at a standstill here you know what i'm gonna i i have some uh empathy for the oldest mm -hmm. i mean if you think about it they don't have anybody to show them the right or wrong things to do they do it they're they do everything on their own they just figure it out and i think that that's like i can't relate to that i had both my sisters to look to for literally everything i've done in my life yeah that's i mean that's a good point uh my sister doesn't actually speak that way by the way but um <laughs> Yeah, the, and plus it's like the the it's almost like the oldest kids are the test kids for the parents almost. It's like, okay, this is yeah. our first kid and maybe we're going to be more strict with this one because we understand, oh, that doesn't really work. So it's like we try it on the oldest and then, you know, uh the younger ones come along and they start a podcast about mental health. Exactly. So, yeah. So when I met you, Laurel, um you know, it was again in a group setting. And you were kind of quiet. We didn't talk as much at first. And as I got to know you, I kind of understood that you you were somebody who had a bit of a, a bit of the social anxiety. Is that something that you've always struggled with? Yes. I yeah, from as far back as I can remember, like going to preschool, mm -hmm. I remember getting there and being like, why are all these kids playing together? They're acting like they know each other already. What's happening? What am I missing here? Like, I just always, always felt like everybody knows something I don't know. And I'm just going to observe them because I feel really <laughs> weird about it. 
So would you like stand off in the corner and just kind of look at them? Yeah. And you, I mean, usually I think I just like find my own thing to do. Okay. Did you, were you afraid at that point, even in preschool or, or at any point that you're going to do something wrong? Is that part of the anxiety or is it more that you don't really understand the situation? It's just, it's this, the thing that freaked me out most was this easy familiarity people have with each other mm -hmm. that I just don't have with people. And I, it like really puts me off if someone acts too familiar towards me before I feel like they know me. Cause I'm like, what makes you think you know me? Right. So I think I just thought about it a little too much. Yeah. Did you, were you able, did you ever talk to anybody about that? Maybe your sisters, maybe your parents, your brother, or was it just kind of something that you kind of struggled with yourself? I don't know that I ever spoke to anyone about it, but like, I mean, I think it was probably a combination of just having social anxiety, but also like growing up kind of isolated in the country and only having really like my siblings and my parents to talk to and play with. Yeah. And they, they become obviously uh, very familiar. You're very comfortable around them. They also, as all families do probably drive you nuts at times or when you're a kid and you're cooped up at home, you know, um, I never drove my sister nuts, which is the good news. <clears throat> so you, you also told me when we spoke before, when we have spoken before that you never feel more lonely than when you're around uh, you know, around people that are not connecting or you're not connecting with them. Can you kind of go into that? Like, do you, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I think a lot of people probably feel lonely when they're alone. Makes sense. But I don't generally like to me, there's nothing more lonely than being in a room full of people and feeling like, I'm not connecting with anyone here. Like, I think it's, it's about being feeling understood. And for that reason, I often have a hard time, like in groups, which is probably why you and I didn't connect at first. It's hard for me. I feel like groups are, everyone's like performing for each other. Mm. And I just have a hard time, like keeping up with that. Yeah. It's much easier for me to just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And yeah, it, there's also like just so much um, like sensory stimuli in a group that's like overwhelming to me. And I just kind of like shut down oftentimes. So is it kind of like if you're in a group, you know, maybe it's a large enough group where there are smaller conversations going on. You can almost hear all of the conversations and then you're thinking about those conversations, et cetera. Absolutely. I find it really hard to tune them out. And like my good friends know this about me. And so like, say it was you and me, Eric, Claire, and Mike uh -huh. in a room together. Uh -huh. If Mike and Eric start having a conversation while we're having a conversation, I'll have to be like, we have to just, we, we have to just have one conversation. Like this is too much. Because you feel like you want to listen to Eric and Mike probably arguing about something like the lawn, which is what they do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and you want to be like, I, I can't focus in speaking with Kevin because you guys are talking. Yeah, it's just too much at, at one moment. You said something, too, that I, it works with for me, too, is connecting one-on-one. One-on-one always seems better to me. I, I think I have a lot of similar to what you're saying um, feelings of like there's it, it's like everybody's doing something and it's like, but I just want to talk to one person, one person, one person. Not to say that I, I don't necessarily dislike groups, but, uh, I'd rather, I think I'd probably rather speak one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And I think one of the reasons you didn't talk to me at first is I think the first thing I ever said to you is what kind of name is Laurel? <laughs> Just like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I think, I think that the one-on-one -on -one conversations, the performative aspect is like not as important. When there's just two of you, it's like, okay, now we don't have to perform anymore. Now we can just talk. But in a group, I feel like it's so much performance and I just like, don't want to do that all the time. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And, you know, just act like Brent isn't here as we have this conversation. I act like it all the time. Can he leave actually? Cause um, 
Brent, could you leave this lovely studio that is yours? Thank you. Thank you. So do you, do you have, are you overstimulated by a lot of stuff like noises and, and things like that in general? Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever, is it noises? Is it light? Is it, is it like everything? Is like everything a little bit too much? It's everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have to take breaks from my family. Like I have a relatively big family. I have to tell them like, I've, I'm at my limit now. I got to go like, yeah. And they understand that they do, but it's like taken years for all of us to kind of like understand that, like, I just have slightly different needs than everyone else. And now I like know that about myself and I can take care of it. But in the past, I've been like, you know, just try to be a normal person. And then I go over my limit and then it's like bad news. And it's, is it almost like this? Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, you're trying to quote, be a normal person, be in this situation and you're getting overstimulated, which is causing you to have racing obsessive thoughts, which is causing you to become more anxious, which then uh, might lead you to behave in a way that you don't want to behave, but you can't explain yeah. to people that what's going on in my head is all of this shit. And then it comes out as bleh. And people are like, what? Is that yeah. about right? Yeah. And that often happens like in social situations and groups. Um, and it's like, if I don't really know these people I'm around, it feels like a lot of masking and performing. And then if I go over my limit, I will become really tired, say stuff I don't want to say. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's much easier now, like with my close friends who I love dearly and my family because they know that about me and like it's expected. Right. Now, did you, you, you talked about preschool or uh, preschool earlier. Were you pretty aware of this pretty early on in your life that you needed breaks from groups of people you needed to kind of be alone uh, to kind of recharge kind of the introverted, the classic introvert. I always knew I, like to be alone my space is very important to me and having my own space and alone time to like just think my thoughts by myself without people watching me yeah has always been very important yeah so in 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 workplace situations do you run into this as well where like we're often on work calls and it's usually remote even in those settings when there's a bunch of people, maybe there's like seven pictures and it's like everybody's face. And then one guy named Ralph who won't turn on his camera and everybody's like, what's wrong with Ralph? I hope you work with somebody named Ralph. Uh, do, do you get the same overwhelming feeling then? Yeah, but it's less about how many people are on the call and it's more like just the call itself. Well, what do you mean? So like it's that performance thing. And I think something I do when I'm nervous is smile a lot. And that like, I mean, smiling literally gives me a headache. <laughs> like, It's just a lot. It's, it feels like a lot of performing mm -hmm. and like after I get off of a work call, it doesn't matter how many people it was. It's like, I feel physically tired and I have to like go tend to my tomatoes for a while in order to like, feel normal again. Do you, um, do you even feel when you're trying to connect with somebody like you're like, Oh, I really want to connect with you and have a conversation with you. You still get anxious with somebody, especially if it's somebody that maybe you don't know very well. Oh yeah. What? And even when it's people that I do know, like it could be one of my close friends and I, it's still, I mean, it's that classic like introversion thing. Like I, you know, I love people and I love connecting with them, but afterwards I have to like recharge. Yeah. Do you, um, what are some of the things that you're anxious about? Is it, is it that, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing it, or is it more about what you've been saying about, am I performing right? Are they performing? Like, are you kind of dissecting the whole interaction? Is that what makes you anxious or is it something totally different? I think it's dissecting the whole, yeah, it's like, Anytime someone says something, I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? And like, just searching for more meaning than in what is face value, which like is stupid because 
I expect people to take me. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of things. It's like, it's, did they really mean what they said? Did I say something stupid? Did I say something offensive? You know, it's just, yeah, it's thinking about, it's just overthinking all of it really. Yeah, I totally get that. Do you find solace in one of the reasons I like reading fiction is because it, you know, it often takes you inside the head of people who are talking, whether it be first person or third person narrator. Do you find comfort in that? Because it kind of puts a window back inside of what people usually are thinking when they're having conversations. That's really interesting. Thank you. Yes. God, you're so insightful. Write that down, Brent. <laughs> In your blood. But actually, I'm going to take it to a, a dumb place. Oh. Uh, because I I get a lot of comfort out of watching reality TV shows. Okay. For, I think, kind of that same reason. Like, I love watching these people play out all of these interpersonal relationships and seeing the conflict that arises and why. And usually it's because someone took something the wrong way or, you know, these people are reading into things too much when they shouldn't be. And I get to see it all as this, you know, person on the outside who gets to see all of it makes me feel like God, you know, and it's fun to like pick them apart. Mm-hmm. And be armchair psychologist about them. And they're, you know, an arm's length away. I don't actually have to know them. Doesn't matter what I think about them. I just get to watch their drama play out. That is so comforting to me. So um, I would lie if I, I didn't say I like some reality shows for sure. What are some of your favorites? I'm in a huge place of Housewives. I've never right seen now. any of those, actually. You got to start with Roni if you're going to start. Uh, Roni means New York. Real Housewives of New York. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Eric knows all about it. You can talk to him about it. The old man watches that. Well, yeah, because I got Claire watching it. Oh, so he knows. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I'm a big Bravo head. Okay. But yeah. do you watch anything on Netflix? Any of their horrible reality shows like Love Is Blind? No, I think those are the worst, actually. Oh, those are the ones I like to watch. and But I usually, at least 14 times an episode, talk about how much I hate the show, and then I just keep watching it. Yeah, I really hated Love is Blind. It felt very ableist to me. All right. I So, quick side story. When I first watched that show, the first episode, I didn't understand that they had to become engaged to see each other. Like, I didn't get that. And so after like one day when one dude starts uh, proposing marriage, I was sitting there going, what is he doing? What is happening? <laughs> uh, ah, the marriage industrial complex. Yeah, it, it's yeah. that doesn't feel real to me. Oh, yeah, it's not. I mean, but the, so the housewives do feel feels more real to you. Like, what do they do? Just have dinner parties on that show? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of dinners. <laughs> it's a lot of events it's a lot of just conversations about what one person said it's but then you also you get the real real juicy stuff like people's marriages fall apart in front of your eyes and it's like you get to see these moments where it's like this husband absolutely hates this woman and and then you know they're gonna get divorced because i know what happens because Mm -hmm. this is in the past right it's just those little subtle interactions are just, wow. I just, I was it. about to say, you look like you're about to do a chef's kiss and then you did a chef's <laughs> kiss. That was, that was awesome. Did you, yeah. <laughs> all right. I, I promise I will check that out. Uh, Real Housewives of New York and maybe they'll sponsor us one day. Um, did you find that your social anxiety had repercussions like with school in any way? Since obviously that's a very social activity for the most part. Did that happen? Oh yeah, I've always been that the kind of person who has one or two really good friends and not not re- I never really had like a large friend group. So if I think back all the way like back to early school, there's always like one really good friend that I had and that changed changed over the years, but 
um, yeah, recess was always a really stressful time for me. Um, just like figuring out where to go. I'm not a good mingler. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. I'm just like, I'll stand by the trees and just observe everybody. And if people would approach you, would that be okay? Like you could talk to them or would you say, get away from me? I'm observing. No, it's, it's, I actually was just talking to my husband about this the other day. I like at parties in like college or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. I I don't know how to mingle, so I find a place to sit or to stand where people can come to me. Yeah. And that is how I feel comfortable. And I've positioned my life now such that that's that's what I've created for myself here. I'm not expected to go anywhere now because I live in the middle of nowhere. And if people want to see me, they come to me now. Yeah. And it's incredible. And... So you grew up in the middle of nowhere, but then you, for a while you lived in Champaign and for a long time, yeah. yeah how long did you live in Champaign? Like 10 years or something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much since I, from 18 to like 32. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and for a time now you, you were talking earlier about, I need to sit alone with my thoughts. I need to think my thoughts. I need to have that quiet, etc. For a time you lived above a bar. Oh boy. Yeah. Now, how long did you live above a bar? Almost two years, I think. Did you, and this is not a jokey question. Like, did you feel that your mental health was being affected by that? Yeah. It, especially looking back, it's very, very clear to me that that was not a healthy environment. It was really hard for me to realize that in the moment because I was going through you know, some stuff personally and my life was changing in a lot of ways. And I wasn't really aware of how much it was affecting me until actually, I think it was like one of the times that Claire came Mm -hmm. to visit your best friend. Yeah. She said something like about how loud it was and how like it made her uncomfortable. And that's really when I started realizing like, Oh, this isn't good for me. Like I have to I have to do something about this. It really took like someone else's perspective of it to like make it clear to me that I had to get the hell out of there. And then that's when you bought your first house, right? Yes. My beautiful sanctuary my house in Champagne, yeah. It was something that I knew that I wanted for a really long time, but you know, it's hard to buy a house. Sure. Um, but I had this goal and I, you know, like way before I was even ready or had enough money, I went to the bank and I was like, my goal is to buy a house. Tell me everything I need to do in order to make this happen. And they said like, here's all the things you need. You need this many lines of credit. You need to build this up. You need this much money. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to do all those things. And I did because it was so important to me to have like roots and like feel grounded in a place that was mine. And that was like one of the best decisions I ever made. I have to give you kudos on that, man, because I myself am overwhelmed at buying like Cheerios. And to think that you went into a bank and said, hey, tell me what I need to do to buy a house. And then you did it. You followed up on it. You built up credit, whatever it is that you need to do. I don't know. I've never bought a house um, because I'm terrified of life. But that is, I, I, I think it's really commendable, I guess, is what I'm saying. Thank so you. you're welcome. You're welcome. I Your house, I do remember uh, there, there was a party there <laughs> right before Claire and the old man got married. Um, and... Um, I kind of did the same thing that you were talking about at a party. I just kind of went out on your back porch area and waited for people to come to me. And then nobody came to me because nobody wanted to talk to me. (laughs) So it really sucked. Uh, Yeah. So you said you live in the middle of nowhere again. You, so it's, it's almost as if what Claire said to you about like, God, this is loud. This can't be good, et cetera, et cetera, led you to where you are now in a sense. Would you say that's fair to say? 
it definitely led me to my house in Champaign, but I really, I think what led me here was kind of like divine intervention in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think people say, you know, like when you stop looking for love, that's when you find it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of happened with me. Um, like I, finally was in a you know had a career to speak of finally was in a place where i was like financially independent and you know i i was able to buy this house and i'm like okay cool i have like my own feet underneath me and i'm doing this i'm like doing life and then you know after i had told myself like love isn't real that'll never happen for me i meet my husband and it you know immediately my life went from like here to here <laughs> like it yeah. just suddenly everything started to get better um for so those I of you who was- can't see she just made the if you watch the prices right that dude goes up the the mountain and you got to stop him before he falls off she made that gesture yeah the guy who yodels yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my yodel thank you brent keep that in thank you anyway yeah. So, so I- yeah go ahead sorry a divine intervention, I feel like, really led me here. Claire helped me to say, like, here's what I need in my life, which was some independence and my house. And then I met my husband who who led me here. Right. And you guys, now, you, you mentioned your tomatoes earlier. So do you have, like, a big garden out there? Big garden, small farm. Wow. Okay. Do you have animals? We don't have any animals right now. We okay. used to have chickens, and I would like to get chickens again. Uh, but you do have two dogs. Yes, we've got those animals. And well, that's not what I meant. Yes, like I <laughs> when I said that, I meant like cows and pigs and other stuff that's on a farm. I don't know. I'll read Animal Farm again. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so you uh, and your husband are out there, and you had mentioned to me, uh, you know that. Louise, your dog. What kind of dog is she again? She's a little pit bull boxer mix. She is so sweet. She's so sweet. And you had said that you think that she was born, maybe I'm using your words wrong, but like she was born to be on a farm, kind of, or she's happiest on a farm. She is a farm girl. Yes. So does she just run around to a heart's delight, lay in the sun, that type of stuff? Yeah. So like I had a lot of problems with her in town and this all really anything that I talk about with Louise can be summed up in that like she again, I'm like not a religious person, but sometimes things just feel divine. And I think that she was like sent to me to help me in my life. And she has always acted as a mirror to me. Mm. She mirrors my bad behaviors and she shows me like what I need. And as soon as I brought her out here, her behavioral problems just kind of like ceased to exist. Um, yeah, she's, she's so much happier out here and it was exactly what I needed as well. Yeah. And I imagine living above a bar was not good for Louise either. No, it was the worst. Unless she likes to drink. She was drinking way too much at that time. Hmm. And now she's sober. (laughs) Way to go, Louise. Congratulations. Uh, I have to shout out to boxers. I love boxer dogs. They are the sweetest, sweetest dogs. Um, uh, Yes, I love, I love, I love, I love boxers. Shout out to boxers. I'm sorry? Shout out to boxers. Shout out. And pit bulls are cool too, Uh, Brent. You're not cool, but your dog is. Cool. Um, so, and, you know, I mentioned that friend text before, and when we started that, that was like 2016 and you didn't have a smartphone, <laughs> yeah. which I, uh, commendable, you didn't have a smartphone <laughs> and you would reply on your iPad. And so Laurel would reply every four days and, <laughs> and say something, I don't know, Steve Jobs approved. Uh, and, and then we go, Oh, look, it's Laurel. And then she'd be gone for like four days because she'd be back to her flip phone. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you finally get a smartphone? I got a smartphone in early to mid 2018, I think. 
what brought you to the to the uh, you know the the cliche dark side? I could basically my um, little flippy slidey phone mm-hmm. wasn't working anymore because the technology everyone else was using was just so far beyond it that I couldn't keep up because like if someone put me on a group text it would have to like download each message which would take forever and then it would just do that forever because people would keep sending messages it was just too slow it couldn't keep up and sadly i had to catch up with everyone else yeah and i think you were just like man in about a year and a half a twitch show is going to become a podcast and i'm going to need a phone to listen to that so thank you for your support (laughs) <laughs> Sad times can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. And so you, you get the smartphone. Do you miss your flip phone or sorry, flip whatever you were doing there? Flip. It was like, it was, it was, it wasn't one of the flippy ones. It slid open and then it had yeah. a pull. The keyboard where you, did you get really fast? Yeah, of course. Fuck yeah. 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 I miss it. Yeah. When you are, when you say, I, I love tend to the tomatoes, right? So if you've been on a work call or, or something has overwhelmed you or stressed you out or, or caused you to be anxious, you got, do you just leave your phone inside and just go out and be in the, the flat? If, if you're able to, like if nobody's quote unquote counting on you. Well, I have really bad cell reception. So that kind of works in my favor. Sometimes it's. That's probably annoying. a good thing, right? For you. It's annoying, but it's, yeah. If I bring my phone outside, it's not to communicate with anyone. It's to listen to a podcast or take pictures of my daughter or something. Yes. And um, that's, we're, we're going to get to that. <laughs> not the podcast. We're already doing that right now. <laughs> so moving up there, I was just walking in downtown Chicago today. And I was walking to Union Station to take the train out here to uh, where we record. And I was, it was about 8 a.m., right? So it was rush hour. And I was watching everybody walk past. And, you know, you've heard the term probably the thousand-yard stare where people are just like, they were just staring. Obviously, it's Monday morning. We're recording on a Monday. And everybody just looked, I don't want to say miserable, but lost maybe. But they're all part of what we call the rat race. And moving out there into the middle of nowhere, as you said, do you feel like you're pretty much out of that now? Yes. I mean, I still have to operate in this capitalist hellscape that we live in, of course, (laughs) which is why I have a job. Um, Uh But I'm lucky that I get to work remotely and spend my time on my farm. And yeah, I feel pretty disconnected um, in a good way from the anxieties of, of modern life in a lot of ways. Um, but then at the same time, it makes me also feel like, you know, am I a coward for wanting to drop out of society? Like, you know, I think about my privilege a lot, um, as a person out here, like not everybody feels safe in small rural communities, you know, people who don't, perform gender the way that you're supposed to, or people who, you know, I just, not everyone feels comfortable out Mm -hmm. here. Right. So like, I think about that a lot. Um, the fact that I'm able to feel comfortable out here that gives me that like peace. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good point and really good perspective. And I, I think it's also interesting that just a moment ago you were talking about, you know, am I a coward because I stepped out of society when the previous, you know, 30 minutes or so of this episode, you were talking about here are all the things that I like and need. And they were definitely outside of what I would probably consider societal norms, but society is so societal norms, uh, former sponsor of the show, by the way, are so (laughs) strong and pervasive that even when you're like, Hey, look, I found a place where I'm happy, comfortable. This is what I like my life to be. You're still like, am I doing it wrong? Shouldn't I be doing the rat race, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And that's something that I struggle with as well. Feeling like, okay, I'm trying to do this podcast. I'm trying to do some other things around the mental health thing. And I'm like, but am I a loser? You know, all that stuff. And it's just so interesting how deep into us that gets embedded when we're younger. 
And I, I was with a friend of mine last night. And by the way, I've just become the guest on the show. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> uh, and he was talking about uh, an old sitcom uh, about, I think it's called The Life and Times of Dobie Gillis. It used to be on Nick at Night. But Dobie Gillis had a good friend who was a beatnik, right? So this is late 50s, early 60s. I might have the timing wrong. He was a beatnik. And I guess the joke was every time Dobie Gillis' dad said, why don't you go work somewhere? He'd be like, what? Work? And everybody probably at home laughed like, oh, look at that beatnik. He doesn't want to work. What a loser. So what I'm saying is Dobie Gillis makes you feel guilty. All right, that was Kevin on pod, uh, Sad Pod, Sad Times Podcast. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. Shut up, Kevin. All right, cool. Laurel. <laughs> I, no, I, just, I, think, I think you're so right about that. Uh, okay, thank you. Brent, write that down. <laughs> about just the fact that it's so embedded in us, the societal yeah. norms yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really something. And you don't, at least in my experience, you don't even realize that until you try to try to do something different. And so much of my anxiety, and I have plenty of it, has to do around those societal norms. It's really fascinating and troubling and makes me very sad. <laughs> okay. But that's why I think it's important for us to just do what we want to do and, like, challenge those norms. I, hey... I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I bemoan technology a lot, but a lot of technology allows us to do that, i.e. you get to work remotely, i.e. I get to talk into a microphone and pretend like I'm, um, I don't know, who who should I be? Casey Kasem? Sure, I'll be Casey Kasem. Uh, I love Casey Kasem. He was on Saved by the Bell. So you mentioned your daughter. Mm -hmm. And how old is your daughter? She's almost six months old. Wow, that is moving right along. Footloose and fancy free. Almost six months old. Uh, okay, so we've had a lot of people come on here uh, on Sad Times who are parents. Obviously, you know, a lot of people are parents, what with the human race and all. And um, before you, so were you, you and your husband, were you like really eager to have kids or was it more of a, you know, like, were you guys hoping to have kids right away? Um, I think our attitude about kids was, for us, it felt like a healthy one. Um, we just got married in 2021. So, you know, we didn't wait that long before mm -hmm. we ended up getting pregnant. Thank God you waited till you got married. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know, right? <sighs> I was 33 three and we were married and I was just like, you know what? Do we want to have kids? Do we not? Um, we talked about, we both would feel fulfilled and happy in a life without kids. And we were okay with that. But we also said, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so we just decided to see what was going to happen. And then I immediately got pregnant <laughs> and it felt very much like this is supposed to happen again. I'm, I keep talking about like divinity and I'm like, what, what is my deal? I don't know. It just, sometimes it feels like the universe does what it's going to do. And it, it just felt right. That has to be a, uh, a comforting feeling though. It's, it's almost like, well, um, uh, the serenity prayer, uh, give me the faith to, try to control the things I can and not the ones I can't. I'm really butchering that by the way. <laughs> and let me know the the difference between, let me have the wisdom to know the difference between that. Let's make a shirt yeah. of that, Brent, my version of the serenity <laughs> prayer. All right, Wade, get the printing that. press out. You'd wear that. All right. Yeah. Okay. So were you nervous about being a mom? Like after you found out you were pregnant? Oh my God. I was so freaked out because, you know, I hadn't, I didn't have like a long journey of like always wanting to be a mother. It was something that I was like, you know, we'll see if it happens. And I just didn't expect it to happen so fast. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, what, <laughs> what now? Like me, a mom, can I do this? 
Right. This is so scary. Um, and how did you deal with that fear? Or was it just like, well, there's that, that this is what it is, you know? Well, it really helped that my best friend was also pregnant. Mm. So that actually was a huge thing that like helped me through those early days. And my sister was also pregnant at the time. So I was just lucky to like have friends and family around me that I could talk to about it. By the way, uh, your best friend's daughter, I believe, as we're recording today, turns nine months today. That is so crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. She's like, yeah, exactly. Almost three months older than yeah, my so, baby. So pretty soon she's going to be mumbling just like her father. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so you had the baby. Obviously, you love your baby. Duh. Um, tell us about what effect that had on you other than, of course, um, the wonderful maternal love and, you know, building a family with your husband and things like that. Like what other effect did it have on you that maybe you didn't expect? I didn't expect having her to ease my anxiety in, in a way. Um, it feels now like I'm simply not that worried about a lot of stuff I was worried about before. I think a lot of people say things to that effect, but it's just all about her now mm -hmm. and like enjoying my time and not feeling like my head, my brain is 10 steps ahead of me at all times. For the first time in my life, I feel like I can lay on a blanket and look at the trees and not be worried that I should be doing something else. Wow. Brent, we should adopt a kid. <laughs> you should, I mean, you, you could do it. Wow. Ooh. I, and I know that I believe that we spoke about this because I, I think that you had said that you were worried that worried that you worry too much and that uh, it, it will be too painful to feel that kind of love. And that's exactly what I 100% worry about uh, as far as uh, fathering a child. I also worry about passing my brain down to them, but it's, I'm worried that it will be too overwhelming. I worry too much. The love will be too, too much. Right. And you, you're just finding that that's, it's been almost the opposite is kind of what well, you're saying. Or is that a not lot right? of the, no, it is. I think a lot of the things that we're afraid of when we confront them and when we do them, we see, oh, I can do this. And then that makes you less afraid, at least for me. So like, I was afraid. My emotions are too big. I'm going to love this thing too much and it's going to be painful. But then now I have her and I do love her so much. And it makes me feel like I can handle anything. Not to mention that you carried a child in your body and gave birth, which yeah. is... Fucking incredible. Even if it happens every second of every day, it's still incredible. It's the craziest thing and the most normal thing at the same time. And I imagine, I, I, I always say that perspective is one of the most um, valuable things that we have in life. And it's never, it's rarely there when you need it. So <laughs> did it, did it shift your perspective? Oh, like uh, hugely. Yeah. I, I mean, I just truly, this is, this is all I care about at this moment. Like all I want to do, especially while she's so little. Yeah. She changes so much every day. All I want to do is make sure that I'm spending each day with her. And so what I've chosen to do is work from home and take care of my child at the same time. And that's something that I think a lot of people are like, whoa, like how, how and why. Mm -hmm. But it's just, that's that's my goal right now. And that's what I want to do. And so that's what I'm doing. Uh, and you said she's almost six months. Mm -hmm. Does she have a job? We've got her uh, applied to be the next Gerber baby. Actually, oh. I was, I was going to enter that contest, but I missed the deadline. So no <sighs> money. All right. So then it's to the salt mines with her. Yeah, once she can walk, which we're almost, we're almost, oh, we're getting. Man, you know, this generation, oh, you got to walk to work. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. 
so in you, I just, I, I want to say how hopeful and refreshing and it, it, it's so lovely to hear such positive things about being a new parent because I, um, my perspective as not a parent uh, and is that it would just be terrifying. And uh, I, I just love the way that you are saying that it has affected your life in such a positive way, a lot of perspective shift, all of that. And um, I just, I just want to point that out. I think that's really cool. Well, thank you. And I think I would be remiss to not also say like, I am fully aware of like all of the privilege that I have. And I think that that makes it a lot easier to raise a child. Sure. Um, but part of what I'm trying to do here with my life and now with parenting is like simplify as much as possible so that I can do what I want to do easily. And so like, because I don't have all of the shit that you have to deal with when you are like living in a city or like running a hundred errands a day or like taking the kid to daycare and making sure that they're picked up and making sure they have all their stuff and all these things that we, all these responsibilities we have, I'm just trying to like minimize those. So I don't have to go anywhere. I stay home. This is my home base. I've got my kid here. I don't have to take her anywhere. I don't have a commute. Like I'm just trying to simplify and I'm really lucky that I'm able to do all of that. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. And to be clear, uh, it seems to me that being a parent is the most difficult thing. It's probably also likely the most rewarding thing, but it's like the most difficult thing on the planet. Um, and especially when you are, let's say a single parent or living in a city and you have to work two jobs and it, I just, the, it would just be so much. So I can't believe I have to say this, but I'll say it. Shout out to all, all parents. Um, because yeah. not to mention the lack of support that parents have in this country. Tell not me more about that. Well, God, I mean, that's right. God is here. And so you're fine. <laughs> it's expensive to have a kid. First of all, true. People who give birth in this country aren't really offered any support after they leave the hospital, which is crazy. I mean, there's no social safety net whatsoever. Um, and it's, I can't even imagine, as you said, being a single parent or, you know, someone without a support system or, you know, someone who has to work two jobs and commute to them. Like, I don't know how people do it. It's, I don't it's either. like, it's really rough out there. Uh, and yeah, it's just like, all right, you've had this child. Maybe you, if you had it in a hospital, you've, you've been there a day or two and they're like, all right, you got to scoot on out of here. Cause we need that bed for the next new mother, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's just like, go keep that thing alive. Bye. Yeah. And Good that's luck. fucking Jesus. That's terrifying to me. No abortions. And also we're not going to help you. So just everybody figure it out. Yeah, that sounds Sorry. good to me. Brent, does that sound good to you? Does that oh, sound good Lord. to you? Cool. Awesome. Uh, by the way, yeah. No, of course it's not too much. Um, and, you know, behind you there, <laughs> I, look, I agree with you as much as I can understand being, one, uh, a male, and two, not a parent. Uh, I agree that it seems that uh, our society at this time doesn't seem to really give a fuck about parents. Yeah. That's just my thinking. Um, behind you, you have some framed stuff on the walls. And I believe one of those, I think, is something you drew. Is that right? I or, painted that. Painted, excuse me, painted. Oh, you're very good at pointing at it. It's very good. Um, and when we first got on a call to talk about being on the show, you were sitting in the same place. And that looked like some sort of... Uh, um, iconography uh, maybe that's the word i want uh i was very surprised that you had painted it because it does look very classic as it were which is not to say anything about your skills it, it was just i it's really wade anyone no okay uh so is that your main creative outlet is is painting how do you how do you 
well, let's talk about creativity real fast because it's something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, just like probably some sort of cholesterol plaque buildup. What do you, what are your thoughts on creativity? I don't have a main creative outlet because I, I have two, I have a hundred of them. Um, which is why I, I've never become a master of any of them. Just mm-hmm. a, a jack of all trades, master mm-hmm. of none. Right. Um, but yeah, I really like painting. I was going through my COVID thing. My COVID like quarantine project was I was painting a lot of these um, like saint, like Catholic saint iconography, like copying from like classical paintings, mm-hmm. but making them like kind of cartoonish in my style. Uh-huh. So that's what this is. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then I haven't been painting much recently, but my new project is one of our outbuildings I'm cleaning out and turning into an art studio. And I've been getting really, really interested in painting again um, and taking in a lot of like abstract expressionist um, content for some reason is really calling to me right now. Um, and Claire actually turned me on to Helen Frankenthaler. Um who was a contemporary of like, um, was she like with de Kooning and, um, Jackson Pollock, Jackson Pollock. And was she in New York? Yes. New Yorker in like the fifties, sixties. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, But she was very prolific and her whole thing is like, like Pollock getting down on the floor and like really engaging with your canvas. But unlike him, she did more of like pouring less like splattering and more like, pouring and spreading of paint Mm -hmm. and she talks about like how you just kind of she doesn't use these words but she essentially is just vibing out with paint and it's just about feelings and like I have often you know painted you know copied from classical artwork and and done lots of figures um but I really would like to explore this like just vibes just capturing a vibe just kind of like meditating with paint and just sure. like seeing where it takes me that's oh man i would love to see what comes of that because i think that's gonna be pretty fucking cool uh maybe i can awkwardly praise that on the next time you're on this podcast and then be like brent help i don't know maybe well, uh he you would hang in behind me next time okay that sounds good you know who is a and i mean this sincerely a fucking great painter Eric, Eric, Claire's husband, that, that, that man's talent at painting. I don't understand it. It's like, he doesn't even look at it and he's just like, and he does it. And then it's like, what the fuck? That's beautiful. Yeah. He is he's amazing. And then if you said that to him, he'd be like, Oh, this old thing. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh man. He's very talented. It, so do you try to, something that I say, I think, again, another thing that you and I have agreed on, if I do something creative in a day, I feel like I've, it's not a wasted day. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. It's like, feels necessary for me the same way that like exercise keeps you healthy. Yes. Doing something creative keeps me feeling inspired which makes me just want to keep living my life you know yeah for sure and i think uh i uh, a previous guest on the show her name is melissa uh she said one of the most profound things i've ever heard even though it's 1000 percent true and it's art is legitimate work period yeah. end of sentence period. and i've said it many times uh you know a couple times on the show i give brent a lot of shit but he has um, he has this podcast studio that I'm in. He has an extremely wonderful and successful podcast called Hysteria 51 uh, that is very funny. And he's inspired me to, to, you know, he didn't help me create this show. Uh, my friend Brock did, but he has really helped produce it. And he shows every day that art is legitimate work. And, and as you said, stepping outside of society's strictures and trying to do what you believe to be right. Let's all try to do that a little bit more. And I think, um, I think that'll be really helpful. So uh, for me, at least that's creativity, you know? So art is legitimate work. I just, I, I, I need to say that 
often because it's so true. Shout out to Melissa and her company, Smartistry. I'm going to be the host here for a second. I'm ready. <laughs> um, besides this podcast, obviously, what's your creative outlet that you're vibing with right now? Um, it's always been, not always, um, as of the last, I'll call it 17 years, uh, it's been writing. I do a lot of writing. Um, for a while, I just wrote poetry. And now I rarely write poetry. I write prose, a um, lot of memoir type stuff. Um, and I created a satirical newspaper uh, that I've yet to unleash on the world. And I'm now going to have to look up the name of that newspaper because I'm proud of it. Um, I believe in satire above almost anything in this world. Um, so I attempt it from time to time. Um so yeah, writing is really my main one. Uh, I play guitar, but very poorly. Um, mm -hmm. I used to be an actor, so that was a, that was a creative outlet uh, for me. I definitely tried painting once, and definitely am not good at it. Uh, my satirical newspaper is called the Freedom Press Liberty Times Second Amendment Tribute Sun. Thank you. Uh, it has an actual interview with the actual border wall. Um, so yeah, those, that's, that's how I'm trying to, and then obviously the show and everything attendant to this show, uh, it's, it's allowed me to meet wonderful people. It's allowed me to have amazing conversations like I'm having with you today. It's allowed me to try to overcome my extreme fear, uh, and trepidation about social media. I'm still not doing very well at that. Uh, Brent helps me out a lot on that. Um, but this allows me to be creative around something that I'm really passionate about, which is mental health. Um, I also would like to be a motivational speaker about anxiety and depression, specifically in the workplace. Um, so that, that would be it. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Um, I want to ask you also, and then I'll stop being the host. Oh, okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. Um, you just said that you used to do, you used to write a lot of poetry and now you write prose. You sent me the collected works of Lydia Davis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was like huge for me. I love Lydia Davis now. And I feel like her stuff is kind of somewhere in between poetry and poetry and prose. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And so do you find yourself, that's what, that's the kind of stuff I like to write is like little, they're not quite essays, but they're not quite, I don't know what they are. It's a really, Lydia Davis and her fiction is really freeing to me because some of her stories are one sentence long mm -hmm. and a lot of them are just a page long, et cetera. But they're so profound and so true about, um, the, the human condition to, for lack of a better phrase. And I'm so happy to hear that you uh, enjoy it so much because she's fucking brilliant. Did you know that she's also a, a French translator? No. And she has the, she translated the first part of in search of lost time, Proust, Proust, Proust. Sure. We'll say Proust Wade. You're going to sound so dumb. I know I am. That's <laughs> because I opened my mouth. Um, and then she also has translated Madame Bovary, the, the Flaubert uh, uh, book. And uh, yeah, she's wonderful. Lydia Davis, thank you for bringing her up. Anybody who doesn't know, go look into, there's this little orange book called The Complete, The Collected or Complete Stories of Lydia Davis, although she's released a short story collection since then. Brilliant, well worth it. Uh, I wish I could write things like that. I tend to have logaria. I tend to write too much, which is probably why I'm not good at social media. That and my horrifying fear of it. Um, any other it's questions? Hard to type with your thumbs I'm sorry. Social. It's hard to type with your thumbs. Yeah, you I know? actually I've gotten very good at typing on this little thing. I do a lot of writing in the little notes thing on my little iPhone here. I find it really, really hard to, I can't do it. Yeah. I've, I've got, well, let's see, you got yours in 2018. I got mine in 2011. So I got seven years on you. Wow. Uh, I guess. 
And I was like, I thought I was late to the game in 2011, like, because everybody else. And I remember this guy I worked with named Phil, really good guy. He, he, when I told him I got an iPhone, he goes, welcome to never looking up again. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> That's about right. Um, any other questions uh, from the host? Uh, no, I'm so sorry for taking over like that. Don't you dare apologize, Brent. Don't give her any of the host money. That Just all goes to me. cut that whole thing out. No, out, no. Um, as we're wrapping up here, we covered a lot of stuff. We covered a lot about, you know, social anxiety, kind of a lot of ways that your life has changed because you are pursuing what you want and, and what you're comfortable with. The wonderful news about your family and, you know, that you and your husband and your daughter and your creativity. Is there anything else that maybe you want to say that you didn't say before, before we wrap up? Um, don't be afraid to get medicated is some advice I'll give the folks at home. It was something I was really afraid of for a long time. When did you get medicated? Uh, just a month or two ago after having my daughter, I was like, all right, this is something I've needed for a long time. Always put off because of God knows why. Um, stigma. Just, yeah, maybe I, and, and I don't, I, I don't even want to say that like I was affected by any stigma, but these things are so ingrained in us. And I don't know, I don't know why that is. Um, I'm not like against modern medicine, but for some reason I was just like, I don't need that. Right. Even though I really knew that I did. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been really, really helpful. So. I think good for you for it. calling that out. Um, I'll look into getting medicated. I'm just kidding. Boy, it's been over <laughs> 23 years on it. And, uh, oh, God. Um, anything else, Laurel? I want also to leave people with um, the saying that my grandfather always, always said when we would, you know, leave each other. Mm-hmm. I love you. He always would say, try to enjoy it. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah, try to enjoy it, folks. That's wonderful. Um, thank you, Laurel. This has been really, I uh, talk about enjoying it. I've very much enjoyed this. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I'm like slightly sad that we have to hang up. So it's not just a clever name. Come on. The, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, thank you so much, Laurel. I really appreciate you being on. Um, and to everybody else out there, I will end by one. I think that that's brilliant. What your grand, what Laurel's grandfather said, try to enjoy it. And two, uh, that there's always room for kindness and grace even with ourselves. And let me tell you, lately I have been forgetting that a lot. And that doesn't mean that you can't wake up the next day and try to be kind to yourself and kind to others. There's always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.